Well, it's good to be here. Thank you, folks. Thanks for the opportunity to fellowship with you in the camp or in the uh, tail end of your camp. Uh, this sounds incredibly loud, but uh, that's maybe just me. So um, it was certainly good for us to be able to get across here again from uh, a place where many would rather not be, uh, but it's certainly... There you go. I can't even make the machine work now. Here we go. Good. Um, I got to thinking uh, uh, over the last few weeks and months of 2021 uh, about uh, what it means to be in the presence of someone else, Uh, to meet face-to-face as distinct from connecting through some other uh, method or medium. And uh, if we're not with someone face-to-face, we can nevertheless, of course, stay connected Uh, Historically, uh, for um, example, we may have, uh, well, we may have done so by uh, a written communication, such as a letter, uh, and we could keep connected to somebody and write a letter. Anybody remember what it was like to write a letter, right? Uh, My wife used to be a great letter writer, uh, lovely handwriting and uh, uh, diligent in the way she did it, but uh, uh, it was a... um, yeah, it was a, a good form of communication. It's a way to keep connected. And then, of course, as technologies developed uh, with a, uh, adopted, uh, uh, well, uh, electronic channel, channels, didn't we? Uh, first by wire, uh, such as the telegraph and the telephone, uh, and then uh, uh, wirelessly uh, through radio and various forms of mobile telephone communications. And then, of course, uh, as we have experienced intensely during the various lockdowns over the last couple of uh, years, there have also been internet connections, including not only voice, uh, but also video images. Uh, so much so can we stay connected today, and uh, some of you might remember when you were a child, uh, if you were as old as me, uh, the calling Dick Tracy uh, uh, wristwatch uh, where you know Dick Tracy uh, was able to uh, uh, respond with, a dic- uh, with his wristwatch and see an image and hear a voice. Well, we can actually do that today, can't we? And uh, so we can stay connected in that way. And increasingly, these uh, more advanced technologies have uh, allowed us uh, uh, to have a more of a real-time experience in the way we connect, despite not Uh, being physically present. Uh, There's a bit of a time lag when you write a letter, aren't you? Or, you know, maybe in the past, uh, not only did you have to write it uh, and uh, put it in an envelope, but you had to give it to some uh, person who went onto a horse and uh, uh, went uh, traipsing across the countryside uh, uh, to get to the the recipient and to hand it over. Well, uh, you know, uh, that's not real-time communication. Uh, but increasingly our electronic forms allow that. Um, and, of course, they also permit greater detail as we move from text to coded beeps to voice and, as I said, to video. And all in all, this enhances the degree of connection that we can have, even if it does not, and I would suggest cannot, uh, entirely replicate the type of connection that we enjoy uh, when, or that we achieve Uh, when we are in the presence of another. The enhancement of the experience comes because being in the presence of someone else is not only about 
communicating through our mouths uh, or by gestures, uh, but there's something more to it uh, when we talk about being present with another. And indeed, there's something about being there, being in proximity, being in the same room, uh, even though you've sort of masked your faces. Uh, there's uh, something about being here with you that is different to watching you on television. Uh, and, uh, and indeed, there is a marked difference between uh, watching church on television, if I can describe it as that, uh, and enjoying fellowship one with another uh, as we enjoy a more proximate experience. Uh, and indeed, it's the combination of a real-time experience of what we see as well as what we hear, but also uh, that something else that we get uh, from uh, uh, our other uh, sensory traits uh, and the interactive responses that uh, allow us to experience the full sensation of what it is like to be in the presence of another person. And of course, we're more likely to be aware uh, of, another, uh, of another's presence if there's a communication uh, that, uh, I don't know, that is attuned to our senses, right? Uh, so that, uh, you know, we can only see uh, where light is within a certain range uh, uh, of ele electromagnetic radiation. We can only hear where the, the sound is within a range of uh, frequencies. We can only taste uh, things that register our taste buds, whether it be sweet or salt or sour or bitter. We can only sense by touch those things that activate the receptors uh, in our skin, uh, whether that be through heat or cold or pain or some other sort of pressure. We can only smell those chemicals that uh, register on our, and I love this word, olfactory uh, receptor neutrons. What a great word, olfactory, right? And uh, uh, well, they're up here, right? And uh, uh, so uh, we can only smell in that way. And uh, put the interaction with somebody else outside of those ranges, then we are blind, we are deaf, we are numb, and we are otherwise oblivious to the presence of the other. That's our natural experience. And, of course, it could be a pretty good experience and sometimes a not-so-pleasant experience. All right, so moving on from that, because that's about uh, enjoying uh, being in the presence of another person, uh, what's it like to be in the presence of God? Are the traits that go together to give us a full experience of being in the presence of a person equally relevant when it comes to being in the presence of God. And that's what I got to think about. And, uh, and there's some interesting uh, scriptural uh, teachings on this. And uh, we're told, of course, that God is a spirit uh, and is uh, not in a natural body like we are. Uh, and the question that plagues us, uh, therefore, is how do we become aware of God's presence given the different nature of man and God? If he is there, and of course we firmly believe that he is, then how do we know it? How do we know that God is there? Now, we can go back to the Garden of Eden in the book of Genesis, and uh, we can note that Adam and Eve were acutely 
aware of the presence of God. Indeed, you might recall that uh, in the face of their their own sin, as they had uh, taken of that which God had commanded them not to take, uh, and as they heard the voice of the Lord, we're told in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8 that they hid themselves, or at least they tried to hide, from the presence of the Lord. There was a presence of God from whom or from which they sought to hide. Now that suggests both that there is an experience that brings us in the presence of God and that we can be removed and separated from his presence. And that's an important thing to understand. Now also in Genesis we read uh, that uh, as a consequence of his sin, uh, of the murder of his uh, uh, brother, uh, Cain went out from the presence of the Lord, we are told, and he dwelt in the land of Nod. Right? That doesn't sound like... Uh, anyway, he dwelt in the land of Nod, east of Eden in Genesis chapter 4 and verse 16. So just as we can be present with God, we can also be separated from God. And what a sad state it is for man to seek to hide or to otherwise be cast from the presence of God. So there is something substantial about being in the presence of God and it is something different to being separate from his presence. Now, in the uh, Genesis story of an Adam and Eve uh, uh, and uh, being in the presence of God, it seems to have involved uh, more of a physical experience than what we experience. That's perhaps not surprisingly, I guess, because uh, their time in the garden uh, predated the fall and their separation from God that condemned them to a life uh, in the world, a mortal life, physically separated from God and, of course, also separated from the tree of life. Now, let's think about presence. Right? We're told in the scriptures that God is omnipresent. Right? So he's everywhere. Right? He's everywhere. Right? It's something that you're not. Right? As much as you might uh, uh, try to make your presence known, you will never be everywhere. Right? Uh, you might yell loudly, uh, and be heard at a greater distance, and uh, your presence might be felt in different other ways at some distance, but you are not omnipresent. God is omnipresent. So in Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, we are told that where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Gather in his name and he will be there with you. He will make his presence known to you. And even as he is everywhere, omnipresent, he will be with you in the midst of those who gather together in his name. But how do we know? How do we know that we are in the presence of God? It's because we see him, is it because we hear him? Does he tap us on the shoulder? Does he make his, uh, himself known through some lightning bolt or uh, awesome uh, uh, experience that excites our senses uh, in, a, in a fearsome and awesome way? Well, yes, maybe. But 
Well, okay, let's have a look. Let's have a look at a familiar story in the life of Moses in Exodus chapter 33. And there's a great little uh, Hebrew word that I'm going to uh, refer to a few dozen times because it's in the Bible hundreds of times. And uh, in typical fashion, I will uh, mess up its pronunciation, but I'll get that away with straight away. I'll call it pornim, right? That may or may not be correct. Uh, And it's really about... uh, uh, the face of God or his uh, presence. Uh, and uh, it gets translated in different ways uh, in the Bible, uh, either as face-to-face or as presence or as before him. Uh, and uh, we're going to uh, uh, work our way through that word a little bit out of the Old and Old Testament. So in Exodus chapter 33 and verse 11, there's a time when uh, Moses was called to do something. The Lord spoke to Moses, and we're told that he did so face to face. That's that word, pornim. And as a man speaks unto his friend, and he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. So on this occasion, as God uh, um, uh, interacted with Moses, uh, he did so as a friend uh, would speak to another, right? And he heard his voice. And Moses said unto the Lord, See, You say unto me, bring up this people, and you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and have also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray you, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now the way, that I may know you, that I may find grace in your sight, and consider that this nation is your people. Now Moses had some uh, sort of jitters about the job uh, that he was being given, uh, and uh, so he challenged God in a way. And then God responded in verse 14. He said, my presence, that's that word, shall go with you and I will give you rest. So with the presence of God comes rest, right? Moses was not at rest. He was very uneasy uh, about what was uh, uh, before him. Uh, God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said unto him, if your presence go not with me, then leave me alone, right? No, he didn't say that. He said, carry us not up hence, right? In other words, uh, you better be with me, uh, is what Moses is saying here. For wherein shall it be known here that I and your people have found grace in your sight? Is it not that you go with us? So shall we be separated, I and your people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth? That's that same word, by the way, uh, face. And the Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And he said, I beseech you, show me your glory. And he said, I will make my goodness pass before you. And again, before you is that word. And I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. That's the word. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But he said, you cannot see my face. And that's the same word. For there shall no man see me and live. And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand upon a rock, and it shall come to pass while my glory passes by, that I will put you in a cliff of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand while I pass by, and I will take away my hand. You shall see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. Now, this is a, a great little story, and it introduces us uh, I think, uh, to this, um, uh, 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 this concept of the presence of God 
and how it, is, uh, uh, it goes beyond uh, what we might see or hear or otherwise enjoy when we interact with people. Uh, that is not the full scope of the experience that we have with God. Uh, and indeed, notwithstanding that uh, Moses, in the beginning of this little story, uh, God uh, spoke to him face to face, even as uh, a man speaks unto his friend, it is quite clear that as God was going to uh, seal the calling that Moses was given uh, to lead his people uh, into freedom, uh, that God was going to be with him and with the people in another way. He was going to make his presence known to them. Uh, And the promise is that God's presence, his face, will go with us regardless, and it will give us rest. It doesn't matter if we can see him. It doesn't matter if we can't hear him. God's presence will be with us is the promise that is given to Moses. And uh, and, uh, he will go with us, And it's not necessary, not necessary, that we see him. The presence of God in our lives is no less real uh, for the fact that we do not see him or hear him in a literal sense. Indeed, as it's noted in verse 14, and just go back to that, uh, we said that by the presence of God who is with us, he will give us rest. In other words, as we seek uh, meaning in the presence of God, We are not to seek it in uh, something that ignites our natural senses. Uh, Don't crave the image of God. Uh, uh, You've got to chuckle sometimes when you see the extent to which uh, religious people um, uh, uh, crave an image of God and and build a a whole superstitious belief around uh, uh, some image that an individual has seen or uh, claims to have seen. And we've all uh, noted those experiences. You know, even down to that teenage girl in Lourdes in France who you know, saw an image, it seems, of, the, uh, of Mary. And uh, from that, of course, uh, a whole industry has been created, uh, a, a superstitious industry uh, where people attend that city and have done so for decades, if not centuries, uh, built around this particular significant uh, uh, igniting of that girl's vision, or at least so she claimed. We can enjoy the fruit of the uh, spiritual presence of God, however, and indeed gain our awareness of God in our lives, not by our natural senses. We don't have to have that image uh, set before us. Uh, We don't need to craft the image with our hands. Uh, uh, We don't need to wait to hear a loud voice booming or booming in the clouds or whatever it might be. Maybe that's the way God uh, does boom in that way, like they did in that story of, what was it, Don't Knock Noah, you know, where where God boomed. Uh, And, uh, well, maybe that's the way it happens, but I haven't heard him boom, uh, and uh, uh, maybe you have. uh, But uh, uh, I can tell you that the fact that I haven't heard him boom in such a way or make his voice known uh, to my ears and communicate within the frequencies that my ears can perceive, that doesn't make his presence any less real in my life. And that's what's important to us all. We should not crave the vision or 
a vision with our eyes. We should, of course, crave the vision uh, that uh, allows us to perceive God's reality in our lives. That's a vision uh, that we should crave, but not the physical vision. Uh, uh, We don't have to crave his voice or his sound or whatever it might be. And indeed, what we should be doing is recognising that God is a spirit and that our interaction with him is to be in the spirit. Now, John chapter 4, if you can turn with me there, and these are well-known verses. And uh, this is uh, uh, an interesting interaction between Jesus and the woman at the well. And Jesus was thirsty, and she was able to uh, satiate his uh, thirst. And here in verse 6, it tells us of chapter 4, Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, sorry, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. And there comes a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, Give me to drink, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. And then said the woman of Samaria unto him, How, it is, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask drink of me? which am a woman of Samaria. And we won't go into that part of the story today, but that goes to a a distinction or a a division between uh, those of Samaria and the Jews that uh, was very long-standing. Because she says here, the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And Jesus answered and said unto her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given you living water. And just think about that verse. If you knew the gift, right, that's, uh, so her knowledge, her, her perception has to recognise a gift, right? If you knew the gift and who I am, right, because it's a gift of God, and if you then also know who I am, then you would have asked me and I would have given you something that transcended the water that you thought was what I needed to satisfy my thirst. I would have uh, given to you uh, the gift of God, of living water, which works on you in a very different way to what that glass or cup of water might do. Anyway, the, the woman didn't really understand any of that, and uh, as she said, well, you know, you've got nothing to draw water. You know, I've got the thing to draw it out of the well, and you haven't got that. And so she, she talks a bit all, all about this, and uh, Jesus is, uh, goes on to say that whosoever drinks of the water uh, that you draw, well, uh, he will thirst again. Uh, but whoso drinks, in verse 14, of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Right? The, uh, the way that God, through Jesus, was going to interact in this way was not to satisfy our physical needs, but was to work on us in a way that would give us everlasting life. And uh, take it further down because they have an interaction about how they can worship God. And, uh, uh, and uh, verse 21, Jesus said unto her, Woman, uh, believe me, the hour comes when you shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. You know what, we know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour comes and now is when the true worshippers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship him. 
God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. And the woman said unto him, I know that Messiah comes, which is called Christ, when he is come. He will tell us all things. And then Jesus finally nailed it with her, and he said, I that speak unto you am he. In other words, he said, I am all of the pers- I am the one who all of your teaching has told you should come. Oh, so open up your eyes. And this is a simple illustration of a fundamental failing in our ability to be aware of the presence of God, yet alone to be able to worship him, even when he is right there, even when he is there in front of us. They were not able to, she was not able to comprehend God's presence. So what's the consequence of that? Well, we fumble around uh, responding to our limited understanding when if we could only grasp what was presented to us, we would put aside the natural and we would grasp the spiritual possibilities. We would see that life is not meant to only be limited by that which is natural, but rather it is able to open up in a way that uh, you know, the flower might blossom, if I wanted to use that uh, picture, uh, and to give us uh, a whole new life, uh, a different life and different possibilities. So it's important to understand the nature of God, these verses tell us, and the need for us to look beyond the natural and our natural senses in order to be aware of his presence. Now, I want to finish because I know that it's, that says it's read up there and I should have finished already. Um, yeah, but sorry, Pastor. Um, but in, um, I wanted to read a psalm out of 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and we'll finish on this psalm. And it's a long one. <laughs> I'm going to get invited again. Anyway, here we go. This is a wonderful psalm, and it's a psalm that's embedded within uh, Chronicles. So in verse uh, 1 it says, So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. They offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. Right? So in the presence of God. In uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 and verse 1. Did that make any sense? Yeah, am I in the right place? I saw some confused looks, that's all. We're right. Okay. So before God, that's the same Hebrew word that we read before, right? So in his presence, they were bringing offerings to God. And down in verse 7, it says that on that day, David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him. Sing psalms unto him. Talk you of all his wondrous works. Glory you in his holy name. Let the heart of them that rejoice that seek the Lord, seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his face continually, his presence continually. Remember his marvellous works that he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. O you seed of Israel, his servant, you children of Jacob, his chosen ones, he is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Be you mindful always of this covenant, of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham and of his oath unto Isaac, and has confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying, Unto you I will give the land of Canaan, 
the lot of your inheritance. And when you were but few, even a few and strangers in it, and uh, when they went from nation to nation and from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved, reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. They sing unto the Lord all the earth. Show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvellous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the, the Lord has made the heavens. Glory and honour are in his presence. That same Hebrew word. Strength and gladness are in his place. Give unto the Lord, you kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come where? Before him in his presence. Worship the Lord in the beauty of his holiness. Fear before him all the earth. The world also shall be stable that it be not moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let men say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice and all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence, the same word, of the Lord, because he comes to judge the earth. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. And say, you save us, O God, of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen that we may give thanks to your holy name and glory in your presence. Blessed be the Lord God forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and they praised the Lord. Let's take the checklist, right? because I think this is a checklist of instructions and encouragements of David, from David in a psalm which I suggest teaches us key aspects uh, of what it is to bring us in the presence of God. Because if we grasp the spiritual aspect of God, we are born again of the Spirit, and uh, we know that the Holy Spirit in this age is what gives us that state. Well, here's a checklist for us. We should give thanks to God because it brings us into his presence. We should call upon his name. We should pray. We should make his deeds, um, sorry, we should make known his deeds. We should declare his glory and his marvellous works. We should testify to all. We should sing unto him. We should rejoice in song and praise. We should talk of his wondrous works. We should let him be in our conversation. We should glory in his name. We should celebrate and boast in him. We should rejoice as you seek the hope. We should seek the Lord and his strength and do so continually. We should remember his marvellous works, his wonders and his judgments. We should be mindful of his covenant and the word that he commanded. We should give to the Lord glory and praise and worship. We should fear him because he is awesome. Give thanks for he is good and his mercy endures forever. Call upon him for your salvation and deliverance. And then all the people said... 